Everybody, this is Chris. Welcome to episode 240 of X Lapsed. And uh, well, today I might sound a little weirder than usual. Um, if I sound odd, uh, there's a reason for that. I uh, had uh, some dental work done earlier today, and boy, they uh, they loaded me full of Novocaine, and my face—the uh, feeling in my face just hasn't come back yet. So I'm afraid to unclench my mouth uh, lest I bite a tremendously large hole in my cheek. So, uh, yeah, I'm a little bit clenched right now, but uh, we will make the best of this here. Um, you know, sometimes I say this might be the shortest episode yet, and, uh, well, this one might be. <laughs> and uh, thankfully, we don't have a whole lot to talk about insofar as the issue, but I might uh, I might not go too deep into the mailbag today. We'll see how I'm feeling when we get through the issue. But uh, today, we are going off the beaten path to take a look at Shang-Chi Volume 2, Number 3. Now, this had a September 2021 cover date and a legacy number of 129. Stories called Shang-Chi vs. the Marvel Universe, Part 3, written by Jean Luen Yang, with art by D.K. Ruan? Dyke Ruan? I don't know. Colors, Triana Farrell. Letters, VCs, Travis Lanham. Edits, Gregorowitz, Shan, and Sobolski. Cover price, $3.99, and went on sale July 28th of 2021. Now we open on Muck Ross Lake in Killarney National Park in Ireland. And uh, I've only ever heard of Killarney from that uh, Christmas song. I, you know, I didn't even know it was a real place. Anyway, we got a pair of tourists on a small boat with a very Irish tour guide. Now the fella of the couple tosses his half-stale, half-eaten protein bar into the drink, which really freaks out the Irishman. Now you see, ye mustn't throw sweets into the lake, especially not so close to sunset, because, well, there's a, this giant Loch Ness sort of critter living under the sea. And just like that, the thing shows itself, and it's a, you know, a Loch Ness-looking thing. Now, how about we learn something? Let's, uh, let's learn about this character here, because uh, this Loch Ness-alike is actually a beastie that some believe to exist in Muckross Lake in Ireland. In local legend, they call this critter Mucky, which, I mean, isn't the most original name, but I suppose it gets the job done. Now, uh, there are conflicting reports online as to when Mucky was discovered, some claiming it to be as recent as 2003. Also, in 2004, a Japanese television crew spent a week in Killarney trying to track the bugger down. So yeah, um, this isn't just some random lake monster they're sticking in a comic. It's uh, something with uh, real-world, well, I guess in quotes, real-world uh, significance. And you know, in my little bit of research here, 
I had to dig around a little bit on, uh, like, cryptid message boards on the internet here, and uh, it's been a while since I've read anything about cryptids. And uh, after spending about 10 minutes or so doing so, I can remember why it's been a while for the, since I've done that. Anyway, Mucky goes to snack on the tourists until it finds itself wrapped up in some green bands of light, which appear to be controlled by the flute playing of a woman the locals refer to as the Lake Witch. Now, the tourist litterbug proceeds to livestream this entire event, giddy that his channel is about to blow up. And, uh, I mean, remember to smash that like button and uh, smack the bell and all that kind of garbage. Uh, the Irishman takes the goober's phone away from him and smashes it, citing that the lake witch protects them, and so it's the local's duty to protect her. You know, from people finding out that she exists. From here, it's our single-page spread of sorta kinda ketchup and cred. And uh, let's try to educate ourselves on current year Shang-Chi. Um... Now, Shang-Chi's evil father, Zhang Zhu, trained him to be a living weapon from birth. And now that his father is dead, he is attempting to atone for his family's misdeeds. And he's got a crew known as the Five Weapons Society, who seem to have only like been a thing in continuity since 2020, but our catch-up page tells us they've been in operation for hundreds of years. Now, you see, they are bad folks, and now, under Shang-Chi's control, he's trying to make some changes for the better. I'm not sure what happened in the first two issues of this volume, but I suppose it really doesn't matter in the greater X-lapsed world, does it? Back to comics, and we're in Chinatown, at the brand new house of the Deadly Hand, and uh, this is one that Shang-Chi has had built in New York City, Chinatown. Inside, we join him and two of his family members from the Five Weapons Society. They are Sister Dagger, who is uh, named Esme, not Cuckoo, and Brother Saber, also known as Takeshi, or Takeshi. Now, they argue about the decor inside the um, House of the Deadly Hand, uh, or lack thereof, uh, because uh, Esme suggests that Shang, as the new leader, ought to have a giant statue made in his honor, but Shang don't need none of that. Then, Master Ling enters to inform the trio that something interesting came over in the uh, the tweet-tweet, because uh, old people can't say Twitter, which is... Uh, that's funny, right? That's a, that's a, that's a funny ha-ha. Anyway, now what the, this is that came on the tweet-tweet is that Jerkoff's live stream, which depicts the Lake Witch. Now, Takeshi and Ling recognize her as Zillin of the House of the Deadly Staff. Takeshi recalls that their father, Zhang Zhu, had ordered him to kill her, but after doing battle, he wound up sparing her life, which... He's regretted ever since. Ling gives us a little bit of context, claiming that Zillin wanted to do a lot of the things that Shang-Chi is currently doing with the society, which is to say, make the Five Weapons Society not so evil. Shang declares that they're going to go and retrieve Zillin and use her to help continue with the redemption of the society. Takeshi doesn't seem too jazzed about these orders, but he doesn't dare question his new leader. And so... Before we know it, our trio are flying over Ireland. Now, they're being guided to Zillin via a piece of her flute that Takeshi had severed during their earlier confrontation. And you see, this piece is mystical, you see, and it's looking to be reunited with the rest of Zillin's flute staff. As they arrive, we see on the ground the uh, Irish folk are protesting the Lake Witch's existence. Uh, they want her out of there, and they want her out of there quick. The trio lands in a clearing, and the flute piece flies off to rejoin the rest of the staff. 
Zelen recognizes Brother Saber and proceeds to toot on her flute to wrap our heroes up in that green, those green bands of uh, mysticism there. And uh, she's sure that they're here to finish the job. And, well, here's the thing. Um, they are. Well, not Shang-Chi, because he's here in peace, but uh, the other two are most definitely here to kill her. Well, unfortunately for them, if they want her, they're going to have to fight their way through Wolverine. Because, of course, right? <laughs> of course. Now, Wolverine is here on behalf of some furry know-it-all, who I'm assuming to mean Beast. And he wonders who Shang-Chi might be working for at present. He cites the Friends of Humanity, the Sapien League, and even friggin' Zeno. Does anybody know what Zeno is yet? I don't know. Anyway, Shang-Chi claims that he's only there on family business and he has no ties to any other organization. And this is when we learn why Wolverine is here. He's here to protect one of his own. Because, you see, Zillin is a mutant. Which is news to just about everyone, including Zillin herself. Now, Wolverine offers her safe passage to Krakoa, where no one will ever hunt her again. Takeshi takes this opportunity to inform us that their father saw mutants as potentially the most devastating colonial power the world will ever see. And so, this only adds fuel to their murderous fire, citing that if they weren't completely sure Zillin had to die before finding this stuff out, well, she sure as hell has to die now. Wolverine turns to them and he's all, don't sing it, bring it, and so they fight. Shang-Chi, since this is his book, gets the better of the battle, knocking Logan off the edge of a cliff. But also, since it's his book, he gets to save Logan from falling as well. Now this causes his brother and sister to question who Shang's loyalty is with. To which, he tells them to chill the F out while he chats up Zillin. He offers her a spot in the newfangled, less evil Five Weapon Society, and uh, she doesn't really even hem and haw about it. She just takes him up on it. She's like, okay, sure. Uh, now, this is also to say that she turns down her one-way, all-expenses-paid trip to Krakoa, so I guess the mutants can't win them all. Then again, do we really need another mutant to blend into the Krakoan wallpaper? Probably not. She can stand next to D-Cell? I don't know. Now, Wolverine and Shang-Chi, they part as pals. Just then, the uh, literal torch-wielding Irish folk descend upon that clearing. Logan proceeds to pop his claws, and he tells the Five Weapons Society that he will cover their exit. Which I take to mean he's about to kill half of Killarney? I don't know. Uh, don't worry, though. Uh, since Beast did send him, I suppose Wolverine is acting as a representative of X-Force? So he can kill all the humans he wants, with a reckless abandon and not have to worry about paying any penalty for it. Next, we're back in Chinatown, where Zillin has been tooting on her flute for, the, for a full 12 hours. Shang tells the gang that they're going to give Zillin a chance, or else. And so they begrudgingly agree. We wrap up that night with Zillin in bed, when she's awakened by a shadowy figure who informs her that reform isn't always possible. And sometimes, the only way to go is to <clears throat> burn it all to the ground. Huh. Where have we heard that before? Hmm. Well, that's where we leave it. Next episode, we're going to head into the August books, the few August books that arrived in my last month's um, DCBS package, and uh, we're going to kick it off with Hellions. And uh, you guys don't know this, but I just paused the recording so I could take a drink, and I haven't been able to drink anything all day. So uh, I took myself a drink to kind of, you know, wet the whistle and lube the tubes here, and uh, 
Well, then I had to uh, dry off my chest. <laughs> this is a, a very new sensation for me. It's uh, been a while since I've been Novocaine. Um, I've been numbed, but not Novocaine. So uh, this is uh, indeed a very strange sensation, and I don't remember it taking quite this long to wear off. But uh, yeah, here we are. It's a good thing we're talking about Shang-Chi, which is to say we don't have a whole lot to talk about. Um, this was a fun read. I didn't I didn't mind the read at all. Um, doesn't really inspire me to want to go back and read the first two issues of this, or even the prior miniseries where the whole uh, Five Weapons Society was established. Don't have much interest in it, and I'm fairly certain I will not be coming back for issues four and, and onwards of this volume. Um, nothing against the character, the concept, the creator. It's uh, just... One of those things that doesn't hold my interest uh, all that well. Plus the story that we're getting here, um, you know, the overarching story, you know, not even talking about Wolverine or Krakoa, the whole thing about, uh, you know, making up for the sins of the family, the sins of the father. I feel like we just, we do that a little too often. Um, I'm trying to remember here. I know we did a few bits of the Master of Kung Fu um, Marvel Comics Presents story over at Chris's on Infinite Earths. And I had the uh, you know, same kind of vibes there. It's all about making amends for for the sins of the father, and uh, feels a little wed- well trodden. And um, it, it didn't interest me the first time, and it, it still really doesn't do a whole heck of a lot for me. I mean, what's what could the end game be? I, I trying to think of what kind of a satisfying ending this could have, and uh, I can't really think of a one. But um, again, nothing against the character, the concept, or the creator. I had a good time reading this issue. But I probably will not be coming back for uh, for more. So let's talk about the reason why we covered this issue in the first place, and that is the Wolverine appearance. And uh, of course, this is very much grounded in Krakoa. He offers uh, Zillin, uh, you know, a safe haven in Krakoa. They mention Zeno of all friggin' organizations. I guess Zeno's moving up the uh, villainous pecking order of sorts here. I. Uh, I guess when the X-Men have so few um, enemies anymore, they, they have to name whoever they have here. It couldn't be like, Wolverine couldn't say like, were you sent by the Russians? Because, I mean, that's the other villain that the X-Men are fighting more often than not. But uh, I suppose Zeno is as good as any, and he was there on X-Force business anyway, so, eh, what are you going to do? We do get us a new mutant in Zillin. Um, she doesn't come to Krakoa, but uh, if anyone out there is keeping a list of the mutants of the Marvel Universe, well... I guess you can add Zillin to that list. And until uh, Marvel Studios makes a Zillin uh, feature film or or a Disney Plus show, when they'll have to retroactively make her not a mutant anymore. Do they still do that? I don't even know if they still do that anymore. But uh, I suppose maybe. Maybe I'm projecting. Maybe I'm still a little bit bitter <laughs> about all that nonsense. Uh, what else is there to say, really? Um, the art here was pretty good. I liked the art a lot. Um, I was a little bit weirded out by the uh, the ending, where Wolverine is running into a group of uh, Irish torch wielders with uh, with his claws popped out. I don't know if he's just gonna like run through and just like start screaming to scatter them, or if he'll actually have to skewer any of them. Uh, I'm gonna assume the, the the Irish folk are smart enough to see someone with a Great big razor blades coming out of their uh, hands and run the other way. Let's uh, let's hope so, anyway. I suppose I should mention the very, very last panel here where we talk about burning things to the ground. I doubt very highly that this has anything to do with Inferno. Uh, I'm not sure if it was supposed to evoke thoughts of Inferno, considering that this uh, Zillin is now a mutant. 
But I mean, if it has absolutely nothing to do with Inferno or Krakoa, maybe we use a different sort of analogy than burn it to the ground. <laughs> because, uh, I mean, that just shows like a real lack of uh, communication between the editorial offices, in my opinion, anyway. If, uh, if we're hinging an entire um, family of titles on a phrase like burning it to the ground, maybe we just let that group, that family of titles, have that phrase, at least for now, right? <laughs> you could, there's other ways you could say systematically take something apart, right? Or, or destroy something. But really, that's just me uh, nitpicking and... Uh, for all I know, this was supposed to evoke a, uh, you know, a thought of the Inferno event coming up. But uh, I think that's all I got to say about this issue. Like I said, it's, uh, it's not bad. If you're a completionist for uh, the X characters, and Wolverine in particular, yeah, this one's worth your time. You know, this one is worth your time. If you're a fan of Shang-Chi, then you're probably already buying this, so you don't need me to uh, give you any sort of uh, purchase advice on that one. But, uh... I think that's all we got to say about that one. Let's uh, let's hop into the mailbag and see how many letters I can uh, I can get through before my mouth totally gives out on me today. So uh, let's start with a letter from Evan. Now he's writing in to talk about Wolverine number twelve, and he says the issue was uneven, but I got four or five genuine laugh out loud moments from the episode, including yes, your reaction to Otherworld. <laughs> This may not make you dislike Otherworld any less. Heck, my own feelings toward the setting are probably best surprised as nonchalant ambivalence. But the fact that it's showing up in other titles at least makes the case that it's part of the X-World now. And it justifies a little an entire series dedicated to, I don't know, doing stuff there? And, uh, well, no, that doesn't make me like Otherworld any, or dislike Otherworld any less. <laughs> it only makes me scared that, uh, that of the world will will remain. Uh, like I said, we got to get the we got to get Jason Aaron really into um, other worlds so he can take it and make pretend like it's always been an Avengers thing, like they're doing with the Phoenix right now. So then we just won't have to deal with it anymore. Evan continues. Louise on Krakoa felt like a throwback X Men moment. Hey, we have this technology, and this person trying to do good could use it. What it did not feel like was current year X stuff. The once-in-future X-Men should be helping allies fight the good fight, not looking down on or excluding them because of their genetics. But it seemed really out of place. And you're definitely right. That felt like a uh, like a throwback to uh, to something altogether different here. Just having someone come through to Krakoa, especially after all the uh, points were made uh, to keeping people out of Krakoa. I mean, of course, uh, you're gonna you're gonna mention the Juggernaut in just a minute, but. Uh, we got the Juggernaut. We got the uh, the champions when uh, Cyclops came through to uh, to rescue them. They they were not allowed to pass through to Krakoa. Um, also, those uh, captives on the uh, slave ship during the King and Black Marauder special they couldn't come through to Krakoa. But uh, this woman who we just found out is a vampire while Wolverine is hunting vampires is a uh, is given passage to Krakoa. It felt uh, felt very strange. I, I don't remember. If during the episode, if I compared it to uh, to Bruce Wayne showing Vicky Vale the Batcave in the first Batman movie, the 1989 one, it just like it's like what? <laughs> it just didn't feel it didn't feel earned, and it just felt. Um, and I feel like it could be something that could lead to a really big problem, which I think that would be the only reason why I'd be okay with it. But I just don't think it will. I don't think it's going to lead to anything, and. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It, it just it didn't sit right with me. Evan continues. 
Maybe the reason for Juggernaut being banned is about more than editorial inconsistency. If Kane were there, and he did somehow figure out Morrow was hiding there, his helmet would keep all the psychics from knowing until it's too late. And even with a bunch of mutants combining powers, stopping the Juggernaut is no small task. I don't know if that gets a no prize yet, but I'll keep working at it. And I tell you what, that's as good an answer as I've heard, right? Um, that does make a lot of sense. Uh, I can certainly see them. I don't have any faith <laughs> in Marvel editorial, um, you know, shining a light on that kind of a theory. But uh, it works for our head canon. And if you check your uh, if you check your messages, you have a genuine X lapsed fake ass no prize waiting for you. And uh, don't duplicate them. Those are very very valuable. But it is there is there waiting for you. Evan wraps up with, So until Jubilee becomes revampirized and teams up with Louise and Wolverine for the Night Guard Ride or Die limited series, make mine X lapsed. Well, thank you so much, Evan. Um, and about that Night Guard title, oh, if this was a, if this were DC, I'd be sure that they'd be trying to uh, get a backdoor pilot in for it. So let's thank our lucky stars that this isn't DC for a minute. <laughs> Keep our fingers crossed that uh, that that doesn't happen. Though um, we do have some news about a new Wolverine title slash event slash whatever they're going to call it. We're going to mention it at the end of the episode, but we're not going to dig too deep into it because, uh, well, my mouth is about to give out. But uh, we'll get one more message in for today. This is from Meal talking about Marauders number 22. Meal says, I didn't like this issue and it mainly has to do with the Wilhelmina Kensington of it all. As someone who read all of Wilhelmina's appearances, I loved her. She was insane, cartoony, and nonsensical. She wasn't supposed to be taken seriously. Jerry Duggan, for some reason, decided that she needed to be taken seriously. And yeah, that's, uh, that was one of my main takeaways from this issue, too, that uh, she was basically a cartoon character, and that was kind of the point, you know? And, you know, if you have to take a character that is purposefully one or two-dimensional and make them a fully fleshed-out three-dimensional character, I feel the way they did it here was like the, I don't know, I don't want to say laziest way to do it, but it, was, it seemed to be the easiest way to do it. You know, it's, it's, it doesn't take a whole lot of thought to just like, okay, well, we'll just make them a victim of, of abuse. So rather than letting a character be a character, we're defining this character by their trauma. I don't know, it just didn't sit right with me. Meal continues, our mom taught us that we need to look out for other women when men take advantage. Uh, you know, their mother, Emma Frost, the woman who helped mastermind sexually assault Jean, or the same woman who used her position as a therapist to make Scott cheat on Jean. So yeah, your mother is a hypocrite, I guess. And that's a really good point. Um, it seems like Emma, Emma, Emma's characterization kind of flip-flops, like to where, you know, she's either an altruist or just like the worst person ever. And uh, it really all depends on the story that they want to tell for uh, which uh, light they, they, you know, depict her in. It's uh, very hypocritical. You're right. Neil continues. Another thing is that I much prefer the theory that Wilhelmina was a sixth Stepford cuckoo and the other five had to deal with the fact that one of them was just a madwoman. Also, it feels really tacky for them to just say she was abused by her father and that's why she's messed up, because many people who were abused by their parents don't turn into animal murderers. Wilhelmina Kensington and the Hellfire Tots are a silly concept that was made for a pretty silly series, and that's all they should be. 
And you know, I agree. Um, I don't see any problem with uh, adding layers to these characters, um, especially if they're going to be around for a bit, right? If they're going to be a primary antagonist for the Marauders book or for a Wolverine title or, or whatever, sure, if you want to give them a personality, if you want to give them a backstory, that's great. But what we're doing here is we're, we're doing the whole Jeff Johns approach, right? Where we're taking these characters that... I mean, we have uh, we have this uh, deficit of bad characters as it is, right? All the villains are living on Krakoa. They're all, you know, aligning with Krakoan law. Not necessarily good people yet, but they're not necessarily bad people either at this point. They're not antagonists anymore. At least not in the same way as we're used to as, uh, as readers of uh, comics. So if you're going to flesh out a character, that's cool. But if every backstory has to be tragic, then you're going to have us build sympathy for these characters. And uh, I don't know if that's the wisest play in a landscape that has so few villains that we can just just hate, you know, just be afraid of and not want to not want to see them win. Uh, Like Jeff Johns would dedicate these like one shots to all the Flash's rogues and he humanized them. So when you saw the Flash fighting all these rogues, it was no longer a, uh, oh man, I hope the Flash pulls this out. It's like, oh, I, you know, I wonder if they're going to be able to see things the same way, and maybe maybe they'll come around. It, it changes the whole dynamic, and it makes you uh, see these characters differently. And I don't know, I mean, of course the argument can always be made that, you know, things shouldn't be necessarily black or white. You know, there are the shades of gray, there are reasons why people do things, but... I don't know. It's just it's one of those things that feels kind of like a cop out. It feels like it's just been done way too much of late. And um I mean if everything bad is suddenly good, I guess is it any wonder that the Marvel universe keeps fighting damn aliens and robots and uh, that's all that's left. Everybody else is a shades of gray leaning toward good character and uh I don't know. All that to say that I agree with you on on Wilhelmina and uh and the Hellfire Tots. Uh, Meal wraps up with, I don't have many thoughts on the Lordish Chantal side of things, other than the flashback art really isn't my cup of tea. Yeah, the uh, Klaus Janssen artwork in that issue was uh, a bit rough. Not uh, not pleasant to look at. Uh, the Kingpin looked inhuman, you know. I mean, the Kingpin is a, a fantastical-looking character in his you know, size, stature, and whatnot, but uh, here he just looked really, really bad. Meal closes out with, so until Colossus is happy, be mine X-lapsed. You know, I'm starting to wonder if we'll ever see Colossus again. <laughs> is he just hanging out in the Savage Land, uh, picking flowers with uh, with that mutant with the water powers, the, the Hydro Woman or whatever it is? I, I don't know. But uh, thank you so much for writing in, Meal. I always look forward to hearing your thoughts. Um, we're going to leave some of the messages for next episode here because, uh, oh, my, my mouth just can't take it. And I apologize, uh, but we will get to them. And we also have a voicemail and a bunch of wonderful shout-outs that I would really like to address. But uh, I would like to do so not through gritted teeth. <laughs> like My face is kind of like wired shut at the moment. So uh, we will handle all of that next time. But uh, without naming names, I just want to thank everybody for all of their support and all their kind words and all of their uh, help in signal boosting this little show. Um, I did mention that we have a little bit of news. And uh, I'll just mention the the headlines here. We'll go deeper into them in the uh, coming episodes here. 
they announced that there's going to be something called the X-Lives of Wolverine and the X-Deaths of Wolverine. It looks like it's going to be one series with two stories in it, or two two paths. I, I, I don't know exactly what this might be. I'm guessing that the X is supposed to equal 10. You know, I think it's like the 10 lives and 10 deaths of Wolverine. And um, the first thought that came to my mind was that this was a way to sell the many lives of Mora X in a more sellable version. Because, I mean, if you put Mora X on the cover of a comic, less people are going to buy it than if you throw Wolverine's name on there, I think. So I think this might just be a way to kind of backdoor into that story. I could be completely wrong. I don't know if this is going to run concurrent with Wolverine Volume 7 or if it's going to replace Wolverine Volume 7 or if it's going to um, have legacy numbering that plays into it. I, I don't know. We'll see when we get there. We don't have any information on it right now, at least as far as I know. But I will dig over the next several days here and uh, we, will, uh, we will discuss it as it becomes available. Uh, finally, uh, it looks like it's official-ish that Chris Claremont is on a new Gambit book. Uh, he shared pictures on his social media, which had a script that he is writing, and it very clearly said Gambit number four on it. So uh, nothing's been announced yet. Don't know if it's going to be a um, post-Hoxpox uh, Gambit or if it's going to be flashback stories. We don't know anything about it, other than the fact that uh, that it looks like it's uh, official-ish, unless he's unless he's just doing fan fiction, which <laughs> I suppose is a possibility, but... Uh, Chances are we're going to be getting a Gambit series before, uh, probably before the end of the year. He's If he's four issues in already, got to assume it's coming. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. I think that could be a fun a fun little read for us here on the show. But uh, that'll do it for today. Um, I, you guys know how to find me on the internet. Um, I'm not going to go through <laughs> the plugs right now. I'm starting to feel a bit of fatigue and a bit of pain, even though I'm numb. So uh, we'll, 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 you know where to find me. You know how to get a hold of me. But that's going to do it. I would like to thank you all so much for spending some time with me today and dealing with, uh, I don't know how this is going to sound. Hopefully it doesn't sound too off-putting that I'm talking through gritted teeth with Lockjaw right now. But thank you all so much all the same. And uh, until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.